Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Coming up on Upstate Issues. When our healthcare system is pressed to the limit, it's pressed to the limit, we need more personnel, and it's time to let the pharmacist step in and do more. Something like a third of the primary care physicians are in their 60s. They are going to retire shortly, and they're not being replaced. And there's going to be a void, and a pharmacist could help. They are not going to replace a primary care, but they could help fill the gaps. The biopharmaceuticals are becoming a dominant force in the industry. They are an economic driver for the industry, but they're a driver of innovation as well. And one of the big problems of this emerging sector is the need for a trained workforce. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's next on Upstate Issues. Hello and welcome again to Upstate Issues. I'm Diane Donato. Our medical response to the pandemic has been, of course, at the forefront of our minds for more than a year and a half now. In the capital region, we have well over 700,000 people with at least one dose of COVID vaccine. In New York State, over 70% have completed their vaccine series. The vaccine is part of the story we've been telling over and over for such a long time now. The expanded treatment options also uh, a big part of our story about how they've been saving lives. Two years ago, we would have not thought any of this was possible in such a short period of time, but certainly there are probably at least a few people who did have a glimpse at how much medicine was changing and how much pharmaceutical offerings could change and our new approaches to them. People who have seen miraculous treatments growing quickly every day. Our guest today is Dr. Greg Dewey. He's the president of Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. College has been around about 125 years, but I I have to believe that the last few years have been some of the most exciting when you see the developments and things that have happened. So Dr. Dewey, welcome and thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me back on the show, Diane. It it seems like a very long time ago since I was back on the show, and a lot has happened since then. It really has. But we are in in a, a very different era now, and we are seeing some really incredible things happen with the pandemic and you know, one thing is people have to understand that the development of those vaccines was record speed. I mean, we were sitting there and we couldn't wait to get the vaccine, but that development was 
incredibly fast. And to put it into some perspective, when the Ebola virus hit quite a few years back, it took five years to develop an Ebola virus vaccine. So uh, even though we were very impatient about getting the vaccines, uh, this was record speed uh, along multiple tracks. We have you know many vaccines coming out. And it was really piggybacked on so much other research that had come before it. Yeah, that's right. The cor- there are very different types of coronaviruses. Coronavirus is not a, uh, a new thing. And, and so we, we did have a foundation of knowledge to build on. The other remarkable thing was the monoclonal antibody treatment, which you referred to. And that is an example of something we call biopharmaceutical. So a monoclonal antibody is made by biological processes instead, as opposed to a chemical process where you would make Tylenol or aspirin by a chemical process. Monoclonal is made by a biological process, which we can talk about it later. We'll lead into CBED, our uh, Center for Biopharmaceutical Education and Training is about how you manufacture those type of products like monoclonal antibodies. Which is interesting. You say, we'll talk about that later. You have so much going on that at first I was going to say, we'll talk about the biopharmaceuticals later because I know that's something that students would be able to learn about at Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. But maybe we should start with the Stack Family Center for Biopharmaceutical Education and Training, which you referred to just now and we will refer to as CBET. That's a a big expansion of what you've been doing at the Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. So Tell us what that is and and where it is and how it is. Sure. So the center, we we just opened the center this past year. It is a center to educate uh, students and and to do workforce training about biopharmaceutical manufacturing, uh, or some people call them biologics for short. And uh, again, these are uh, engineered uh, complex proteins made from biological process. The very first uh, biologic was insulin, human insulin. But these monoclonal antibodies, vaccines themselves, are biologics. And these biopharmaceuticals are taking over the pharmaceutical industry. We will always have small molecule drugs, like I said, like aspirin or Tylenol. But the biopharmaceuticals are becoming a dominant force in the industry. They are an economic driver for the industry, but they're a driver of innovation as well. And one of the big problems of this emerging sector is the need for a trained workforce. And that's where the educators come in. And uh, we're seeing this as the opportunity to train both our students to go into the, uh, this industry, but also to help train the workforce. It's a really amazing, it's a really fascinating time because the science is moving really quickly. Barely a day doesn't go by where you learn about some new gene that's been discovered associated with a disease, a new target. Uh, for a therapeutic. And at the same time, the uh, manufacturing is changing. The manufacturing is becoming more efficient. It's becoming smaller. And so you got these two very dynamic things going on. And it's just, it means that people have to stay up and have to be current, which is kind of an educator's dream is to, to be in a, a fast moving field where everyone needs to continually be educated. That's what we want to do. We want to educate for our students and for the workforce. The other thing we have to look at is, you know, pharmacy. There's a difference between 
the practice of pharmacy and the pharmaceutical industry. And most of our students go into the practice of pharmacy, whether it be community pharmacy or hospital pharmacy. But when they do transfer over or cross over into the pharmaceutical industry, they do well. I know because I've visited many alums who have, have left their jobs in pharmacy to have a very successful career in a pharmaceutical industry. Our goal is to facilitate that pathway because pharmacists are very special contributors. They know the basic science, but they also know the end user. They know the patient. And it's that combination of things that make them such a strong contributor to the pharmaceutical industry. Have that's to what CBET's about. That's what CBET's about. And we have to unpack a little bit of, of what you were just saying. You, First of all, you kind of read my mind. One of the questions I was going to ask you about was during this pandemic, we certainly had plenty to worry about. Yeah. But one of the things that we started to worry about and one of the problems that was exposed was not just when it came to vaccine and, and getting the vaccine, but, but all things when transportation uh, became an issue for so yeah. many people, we suddenly became a lot more concerned about where our pharmaceuticals were coming from right. and did we have the capacity to do enough manufacturing here in the United States. And right. you are somebody who obviously has looked at that problem of, of do we have enough here and do we have the trained workers? Yeah, that's right. There, there are certainly supply chain issues and which w will, and as we look at those supply chains, we may want to relocate some manufacturing just of the basic ingredients into the U.S. But uh, when you look at things like vaccine production and then really the need to have uh, local control of that, it shows you how important it is not to, not to outsource that, those sort of manufacturing practices. Ireland has done a great job building a pharmaceutical manufacturing base of its own, and a lot of U.S. firms have gone to Ireland. But we, it's driven home the point that we need to keep certain things at home. It's in the, our best national interest. That's what we, we have been doing, and uh, we need to have the workforce that provides. It's not just a supply chain issue, it's a workforce issue. So we need to be able to educate the workforce to do it. And it's a highly trained workforce, yeah. which also brings us back to CBET. But you also gave a, a quick mention to it's an educator's dream when things are rapidly changing because there's always something new to, to learn. Right. On the other hand, I was thinking it might be a bit of an educator's nightmare when things are going too quickly because you must have to really spend a lot of, of time investing yeah. in and getting different equipment. Tell us That's what right. it looks like there and yes. how do you stay on top yeah, of so that? So CBED is located at the Nano College, the SUNY Poly Complex. That is uh, where the uh, great collaboration between academia and the semiconductor industry. And so they had a culture there of interacting and interfacing strongly with uh with industry academic relationship. So it's an ideal place for us. It's a beautiful facility. We have about 3,000 square feet uh, on that site and we have our, our laboratories and offices there. But it is a culture of uh, learning from industry. So often, um, shouldn't say this, but so often academics think they know everything and and they need to uh, be willing to to talk to folks at industry. People do things differently in industry and to be current, uh, we need strong industrial input. So we have built a really top-notch advisory board for, for our uh, center, just leaders across the country and that keeps us informed and uh, that we also will tap that group 
for to give a class or two, uh, bring them in and, and share their expertise. That's the key. It cannot become a very traditional sort of academic exercise. We just have to keep moving and we have to keep at the forefront. That's why that advisory board is there. That helps us uh, stay true to that, that mission. I noticed that you even do things like symposiums. And, and I know uh, in speaking with you previously, too, that there are short classes that people might take yeah. where they've, they're already PharmDs or they're already right. – they've already earned their uh, their degree, but they want something to freshen up and, and to – That's right. So, so the center will have two different – so some, someone tried to trip me up. I, you know, the, the title is uh, Stack Family Center for – biopharmaceutical education and training. And they said, well, well, what's the difference between education and training? Well, the, in, in our minds, the difference is education is what we do with traditional students. We have a master's in biomanufacturing and bioprocess, a semester level courses, it's a one year master's program with hands-on internship at the end of it in industry. That's education. The training is when you have people within the industry that will come in and take a short course. They'll take a two or three day short course. We want it to be a hands-on course. So it's, it's really about, you know, using the latest technology. And that's a training component. That's as critical uh, a component as the, the traditional uh, semester long type of course. What helped us, you know, we have an interesting partner. Not only are we partnering with the pharmaceutical industry, but we're partnering with the vendors, the people that make the instruments, the people that make the supplies. They want nothing more than have people trained on their instruments, right? And, and grow to love them. And, right? and, and that's right. And they're willing to bring bring us their latest instruments to, to look at it and have people learn on them. It's almost a little bit like a, a beta site. And, and so those those uh, vendors are very important partners with us in, in, in terms of keeping current. Our guest today is Dr. Greg Dewey. If you're just joining us, he's the president of Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. We've been talking a little bit about CBET. And we've been talking a little bit about how the pandemic has affected education and affected every human being here with their pharmaceutical needs and, and changes. Something that you've long talked about when it comes to maybe more of the mission of Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences is you graduate these pharmacists and you've always said they can do so much more right. than traditionally they're doing. And now with the pandemic, we certainly yeah. saw a, an even greater need for the things that they can do. Talk to us a little bit about why it's important in your view to expand the role of pharmacists yeah. and the training that they have that would make us comfortable letting that role be yeah, expanded. Right. So so the pandemic brought the, I mean, one of the good things, one of the silver linings is it brought the professional pharmacy front and forward. There was an executive order uh, New York by the governor, New York State uh, executive order that allowed uh, pharmacists to test, to do a point of care uh, testing, uh, something called CLIA wave testing. It's not as sophisticated as the drug test, uh, but these are very accurate tests uh, that can be done quickly. Pharmacists were at the forefront of testing. You, you go and get tested at your local pharmacy. You had the access. Uh, and and the pharmacists, you know, had the sophistication and knowledge to test. That was an interesting new role for pharmacists. It, it was almost as much of a public health role as a medical role to be out there at the forefront of testing. And then once the vaccines 
uh, were developed, the pharmacists were at the forefront of, of the vaccination effort. Our first year of pharmacy students, we call them P1 students, they learn how to vaccinate in their first year, first of four years. And so I have 250 some vaccinators on campus in addition to all the other classes uh, ahead of them. So I had a lot of talent and a lot of ability and, and we use that. We set up our own testing and our own uh, vaccination. Uh, we, we went out in the community and vaccinated. We were testing for um, not only for ourselves, but also for Albany Law and for Sage and a, a little bit for uh, uh, St. Rose. Uh, so we opened our doors and uh, we, uh, there's nothing like uh, bringing a student in and have, doing a test and having them sit there until the test result is back because, and then if they had to, we'd escort them to quarantine or set them off. That was very powerful for us. And we, we're very proud of uh, how we performed in the pandemic, but it, it reflected, the, again, the larger role of pharmacists. The pharmacist is the public health asset, it's a medical team asset. And people have to accept an increased role when our healthcare system is pressed to the limit. It's pressed to the limit, we need more personnel, and it's time to let the pharmacist step in and do more. Yeah, I could go on for hours about this. But I just well, there are, actually, there are two points I want to follow up on. I think I'll go with the first one, which is what other specifically, what are the things that you think pharmacists could be taking on? Well, one of the things that we've been very active in, uh, in promoting uh, legislatively, the, the college has gotten involved in some advocacy, is... Uh, the CDC has some 40-some different vaccinations, and, and right now in New York, there's only a handful of pharmacists can do. And so we looked at legislation to expand it to include all the vaccinations. That you know, That's a very easy thing to do. We wanted to expand these point-of-care testing. The pharmacists can do the point-of-care testing. There's no need to... Uh, for some of these tests, there's no need to take a blood sample and send it to a lab and get it. Some of these very uh, uh, accurate and efficient tests, the pharmacist should be could be doing. So, if if I think of the, uh, the role they they can do, they can do a lot of diagnostic things. They can check blood sugar, adjust insulin levels, things like that. They can do diagnostic things. They can do prescription adjustments that you don't necessarily need to have them be a prescriber, but they need to work with a medical team, a chief medical officer. They can adjust prescriptions, what we call uh, medication therapy management. Anyone, oh, I saw some statistic, if you're in your 60s, the chances are you're on five or six medications. Those are not always compatible with each other. Someone needs to manage that and adjust those prescriptions from time to time. So that's, that's a big role. And then the third role is the counseling role. Pharmacists can be in front explaining to people why they should be vaccinated or why it's important that they take their medication every day and not every other day. Uh, there's a strong counseling services. If you look at surveys, pharmacists, I think they're next to nurses in the profession and has one of the highest levels of trust. People trust their pharmacists and they have a, a strong counseling role that they can play. So, so it's really broadening now the profession, but it's broadening out the profession so that they work within the framework of a medical team. They're not gonna replace a primary care physician, but they can certainly expand 
the, the uh, capacity of a primary care physician, you're seeing a very important role. And the, the other thing is just the pure sophistication of these medications these days. Nobody knows medication like a pharmacist. You need their expertise to understand the compatibility, the proper dosages, and, and the importance of compliance. That's a great constantly. When people go non-adherent on their medication, that's when they get into trouble. And pharmacists have to be there constantly reinforcing the importance of adherence. And on the consumer end, I think it must speak to three different things, at least. There's, um, there's the convenience because That's there are right. so many pharmacies around. Access, because not always are there doctors in every community right. or, or readily available. Not to mention trying to get an appointment. And That's then right. cost, right? Yeah. I I'm, would have to believe that this might help drive down the cost a little bit, too, of some of these yeah. types of things that you're saying that they'd be qualified to do. Yeah. You know, there is there's going to be a crisis in primary care in this country. Uh, something like a third of the primary care physicians are in their 60s. They are going to retire shortly, and they're not being replaced. And there's going to be a void, and a pharmacist could help. They are not going to replace a primary care, but they could help fill the gaps. Nurse practitioners, uh, physician assistants, there are a number of these professions. But, but the void is probably going to be filled by more teamwork and, and more sort of you know, you do this and we'll do that and, and just working collaboratively. And that's what we need to be looking at as, as a pharmacist, as, as a member of the, uh, the medical team. And, and with provider status that has the independence to adjust medication, to, to order tests, to do some things like that. The other thing that I wanted to circle back on, you had mentioned about the students who, who helped out with testing and uh, and can give vaccinations yeah. and things. But over the years, I, I've come to know that you have a lot of community partnerships where your students are very visible in the community right. and a lot of times in underserved areas. Right. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so we did, uh, you know, we have our two pharmacies that we operate are in uh, uh, medically underserved areas. One is at Whitney Young Health Clinic and the other one is at Hometown Health Clinic. Clinic. And then we have the collaboratory in the south end of, of Albany. The collaboratory is a combination of pharmacy services and, and social workers working together. A lot of that is about medication therapy management. But with those resources during the pandemic, we did a number of pop-up clinics, uh, what we call pop-up clinics. We, one we did uh, in, in the south end at one of the AME churches there. And those pop-up clinics were very successful. The students were great in that. And I'm very, very pleased to see the student engagement and have them see that example of working in that community and, and giving back to that community. That, that's almost as important a message as, uh, as the, the techniques that they're learning, the skills they're acquiring. But what they do, they also learn how to move into a, a setting like that and set up a very professional protocol that is efficient, that can process people. That's something you don't see in a normal course of your education. Uh, so that that was a very powerful thing. And, and I am very proud of our students and their engagement in that. Well, I think uh, there's, of course, there's the science that everybody needs to study in order to become a pharmacist. But as you've pointed out, it's also a very human profession. That's right. And That's right. that one-on-one -on -one skills must make a big difference for your graduates. And we are almost out of time here, but uh, I'll just wrap up with a couple of things. I was 
just surprised to see that it's over 125 years, Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, right? 1881. That is very impressive. There aren't very many uh, institutions, and and here in Albany to have that is really, I think, something we can be very proud of. We are very proud, and we have a very strong legacy in upstate New York, especially in community pharmacy. We probably have about a dozen families that three generations have gone to the school. And, uh, and often that is a pharmacy that's passed on from generation to generation. But it is a, a very tight bond, and that, that is a, a, a proud history for that. And let me, I should also say the very first woman pharmacist was a graduate, and she was in the very first class in 1881. That's really great history. That's wonderful. And yeah. I also just want to mention, uh, I understand you are retiring I am. in summer of 2022. And I, I think you're going to be very much missed. Well, thank I you. do wish you a happy retirement. Well, thank you. And it's nice that you're staying to help out with the transition, but I, I'm sure that they've really appreciated having you there. Well, it's not easy to retire. It's, it's been a great time uh, for me uh, professionally, and it's been a very gratifying time. It's not an easy thing to do, but at some point you have to get, let the younger folks come in and, and have their go at it. And, just as long as they still have your phone number. I bet you they'll be okay with that, right? <laughs> yeah. Dr. Greg Dewey, the president of Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, saying thank you so much for your time today. Okay, thank you, Diane. Upstate Issues is a production of iHeartMedia Albany. This program is available as a podcast at WGY.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.